Hello, my name is Jody Lee Ma, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. The poem I'm going to start off with today is called Self-Portrait. It was written by Samantha Abiel. I found it in her poetry book, Reach for the Moon. Uh, this was illustrated by Charles R. Murphy. As a way of introduction, I'm going to read the first two paragraphs of Samantha's biography uh, that was written in Scholastic.com. Samantha Abiel was a bright child who had a gift with language, yet struggled with simple math problems. As she grew older, the disparity grew wider. An excellent poet and writer, she could not tell time or even calculate simple addition or subtraction. Though signs of a learning disability were present throughout her childhood, she struggled with feelings of failure until at 13 she was finally diagnosed with a learning disability called dyscalculia. On the verge of collapse from panic attacks, she suddenly understood what was wrong. Now she could focus on developing her gifts and compensating for her weaknesses in a positive and constructive way. It was the beginning of regaining control of her life. It was a 7th grade English teacher who helped Samantha focus on her writing skills. He began to critique what would become her first book of poetry, Reach for the Moon. It was published when she was only 15 years old, and Reach for the Moon won the 1994 Margot Marek Award for Best Book on the Subject of Learning Disabilities given by the New York branch of Orton Dyslexia Society. The book also won the Distinguished Book Award from the International Reading Association. It was named a Best Book for the Teen Age by the New York Public Library. Self-Portrait by Samantha Abiel To show you who I am, I crawled inside a tree, became its roots, bark, and leaves, listened to its whispers in the wind. When fall came and painted the leaves red and gold, I wanted to shake them across your lawn, to transform the grass into a quilt, a gift spread at your feet, but their numbers eluded me. So I turned a piece of paper into my soul, to send to you so that you might see how easily it can be crumpled and flattened out again. I wanted you to see my resilience, but I wasn't sure how to arrange the numbers in your address. So I danced with the Indians in the forest and collected the feathers that fell from the eagle's wings, each one a wish for my future. But I lost track of their numbers, gathered too many, and was unable to carry them home. So I reaped the wind with my hair, relived its journey through my senses, and felt its whispered loneliness like lakes in winter, but it was too far, and you could not follow me. Now I've written out their shadows, like the wind collects its secrets, to whisper into receptive ears, and I will leave them at your doorstep, a reminder of what others cannot see, a reminder of what I can and cannot be. My guest today is Cynthia Fales, author, illustrator, educator, podcaster, and publisher who writes under the name C.L. Fales and is author and illustrator of the Ella series, including Ella and the One Big Dream and Ella and One Tiny Thing, the Christmas Cookie Books, the Rain the Brain book series, of which the first one, The Secret World of Rain the Brain, uh, Quindara Adventures, was published in August 2018. Uh, in addition, Cynthia is founder and CEO of Launch Crate Publishing, a hybrid publishing company. You can find Cynthia's website at www.clfails.com and her Launch Crate website at www.launchcrate.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Cynthia. Thanks for inviting me. 
Uh, now, I, I mentioned a little bit that your latest book uh, was the the first book in a new series, uh, Rain the Brain, and the first book is The Secret World of Rain the Brain, uh, Quindaro Adventures. Can you talk a little bit about that particular book and also what we might look forward to in the series? Absolutely. So The Secret World of Rain the Brain uh, is a series that follows the adventures of a 12-year-old who is also an inventor who uses his creations to save the world almost every day. And he's joined by his sidekick, who is his younger brother. <laughs> uh, and together they work to save the world and the rest of us, unbeknownst to us, uh, from all of these otherworldly beings. Uh, so Quindero Adventures really sets the stage for who Rain the Brain is and what he's doing. And then the next few books in the series that you'll see really dig a little bit deeper into the work uh, that's happening as he's creating and saving the world. What inspired you to write uh, or to get the idea for these books? You know, so the Ella book series was spawned from some of the conversations that I had with my mom growing up and just watching the way that she navigated through the world. Uh, so those were kind of a natural, I guess, a natural fit in terms of uh, my career alignment, because I spent a lot of my career coaching and educating others and helping them to discover all of the powers that they have within themselves. Um, so those mo more closely align with my career path up to this point. Uh, but the secret world of Rain the Brain is really tapping into my adventurous and creative side. And that, that side is a side that not a lot of people have the opportunity to see, because I don't really let that out too much. So now, in our email exchange before we were setting up this interview, um, you talked about two books, the one we're going to talk about today, and a second one, a picture book, uh, The Snowy Day by, Snowy Day by mm -hmm. Ezra Jack Keats. And, uh, yes. and, and you said that was a very important uh, book to you as a child. And I'm wondering, just talk a little bit about why that book was important to you, both when you first read it and how it may have impacted your own current career as an author and illustrator. Sure. The, um, the Snowy Day, you know, there are a handful of books for most of us that just stand out as books that we'll remember probably as long as our memory lasts. Uh, and The Snowy Day is one of those books for me. My mom was an educator. Um, so she and my dad both instilled the love of reading inside my brother and I as we were younger. So we read all sorts of books all the time. But The Snowy Day is the first book that I remember uh, seeing myself represented on the cover of a book. And, you know, you don't realize what's missing until you discover that it's missing, right? It's, it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. And The Snowy Day was one of those books for me. Um, and I can recall very vividly sitting in our library session in elementary school and Usually they read books to us and, you know, children are squirrely. And so the class would squirm around and giggle and laugh and not necessarily at the books that were being read. But when the snowy day was presented, our entire class was silent. And all of us, I think, were having the same or very similar type of moment in seeing, wow, somebody took the time to put us um, into a book. And that at the time was pretty rare. And for me, I think it's really important to ensure that children have the opportunity to see themselves in 
all sorts of arenas, which is why I illustrate the way I illustrate and why I write the way that I write as well. As I've mentioned, you're also, along with the other things that you do, you're founder and CEO of LaunchCrate Publishing Company. Um, yes. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? It, it's, it's a hybrid publishing company, what it is, and what inspired you to develop it in the first place? So LaunchCrate is um, a dual-service publishing company. We offer uh, publishing services for those who are interested in self-publishing their own titles, but not sure where to start uh, in the massive process that is publishing a book. Uh, so we provide uh, services that can help them cover to cover, whether it's cover design, uh, the book layout design, editing services, or even coaching in navigating the publishing sphere. Uh, we also offer more traditional publishing as well, but we have inverted the royalty percentage. So typically in the publishing world, you have a 60-40 split that is considered good. Uh, where 40% goes to the author and 60% goes to the publishing company. Uh, but we have inverted that so that our authors and our creatives are receiving the compensation that they deserve for the work that we are out there uh, helping to promote. So that's what we do with LaunchCrate. We're trying to essentially flip the publishing industry on its end one book at a time. It's a massive task, but... What would you say in self-publishing is both the biggest challenge and maybe the biggest reward of taking that particular route? I think the biggest challenge in self-publishing is probably spreading the word and connecting with communities outside of our own communities. Uh, and that community can be a city or a particular country, just however you define community, getting outside of our comfort zones and and spreading the word and telling others about what we've created and why it's important is usually the biggest challenge. But the greatest reward, I think for me, and I can only speak in terms of my experience in publishing work, the greatest reward for me is seeing the impact on the reader. Uh, so seeing children get excited when I go to read to them or having children. I I had a, a young child that colored in a bookmark um, related to the Ella book series, and she had planted a seed that grew into a tree. Uh, so those are the types of things that are really rewarding. So the book you uh, chose as one of your favorite children's books is uh, A Wrinkle in Time, the classic novel by Madeline Lengel. It was a uh, first published in 1962 by Ariel Books, and it is still in print. And actually, it was adapted into a movie just recently in 2018. And in addition, it was awarded the Newbery in 1963. Now, it's a, a well-known book, but for readers who are unfamiliar with it, and I realize it's not the easiest book to summarize, uh, but, <laughs> but can you talk a little bit what it's about? Uh, without giving too much away, uh, A Wrinkle in Time is about a young girl, Meg Murray, and her brother, her younger brother, Charles Wallace, who set out on an adventure with three, how do you describe them? <laughs> three very, very peculiar and curious. And gosh, I don't, I don't, it's hard to describe Miss Who, Miss What's It. You know, it's, it's an, it's almost an adventure series with a very specific purpose to me. And A Wrinkle in Time, what I got out of it 
was the importance of harnessing your own power and trusting what you know to be true. Um, even when the world tries to tell you that what you're seeing is not what you're seeing and what you're experiencing is not what you're experiencing. So the main character in the book is Margaret Murray or Meg. And uh, when we first meet her, she's having trouble at school. She's getting into fights. And she probably wouldn't consider herself, at least at the beginning of the book, as a very heroic person. Now, what is it about Meg that makes her such a compelling protagonist uh, and a memorable protagonist for this book? I think uh, Meg is like all of us um, at some point in our life where we're trying to figure out who we are and why we matter. And I think there's something very real that we can all tap into in that regard. And I was recently at a, an SCBWI conference, uh, which uh, Grace Lynn did a workshop on plot. And she said, basically, there's only two plots. Uh, there's the hero on a journey and a stranger who comes to town. And this book would seem to be the first, uh, uh, a hero on a journey. So what do you think uh, Meg's journey is? And I don't mean just the, the, you know, the places she goes to, but sort of the uh, emotional journey that she kind of goes through uh, in the book as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely a journey of self-discovery in all of the adventures that she faces and in all of the challenges uh, that she faces and all of the opposition that she faces, even from those that she's traveling with. What she's really learning to do is to stand firm in who she is, which is pretty cool. Would you say she's a different person at the end of the book than she is at the beginning? I would I would say to a reader, she's a different person at the end of the book. And I think this is one of those books where uh, we've been given a great, a tremendous opportunity to see inside of a person. And I think Madeline Lingle did a really good job of illustrating that in her work. Now, along with uh, Meg, we have three other female characters who you've mentioned, Mrs. Watsit, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Witch. And and these characters, with the exception of Charles Murray and maybe Calvin, are really at the center of the plot and its resolution. At the time the book was written, it was kind of unusual to have a female prot protagonist, particularly for a science fiction book. And things are a, a bit better now, but uh, it's still something that stands out. Why is it so important to see uh, girls like Meg and, and women like uh, uh, those other three characters represented as heroes in these kinds of books? I think it, it offers an opportunity for us to see the value in everybody's story. And it's, it's important for not just women to see that, uh, but for men to see that as well for young boys to experience that as well, so that we can challenge the one voice narrative that has been um, at the core of our society for so long. Um, and I think it gives us the opportunity to start to value other human beings more. Now, apart from Meg, uh, do you have a favorite character in the book? Like if you ask me, I would say uh, the happy medium is just somebody who just 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 amuses me. Uh, and yes. so do you have uh, one character that kind of stands out? So somebody who just, you know, just um, really enjoy reading for whatever reason. I love Meg, but I there's something quirky about Miss What's-It that I really enjoyed. Uh, and maybe that's my own quirky bias showing. But yeah, she's one of my favorites. Is there something about her in particular that uh, stands out for you? Uh, she's pretty straightforward with <laughs> with just the way that she communicates with people. And uh, she does it in a way that 
uh, makes you listen and encourages you to respect what's coming from her, but not in a brash way. Madeline Lengel has said that one of the reasons so many publishers initially rejected the book, I guess she went through a lot of publishing before she finally found one that would actually uh, publish it, is that it's this is a kind of story that kind of baffles adults, but children tend to have no problem with it at all. Uh, do, mm-hmm. do you think that's right? And what is it about adults uh, that they lose uh, when they approach books like this that they just don't quite get? You know, I think as we get older the lens that we see the world through shifts and it shifts because of the experiences that we have. And for kids, their lens is pretty clear. It's it's not cloudy, it's not dirty, and it hasn't been tainted yet by, for the most part, uh, hasn't been tainted by experiences that would create a different perspective on a work like this. But I think as adults, the older we get, the harder it it becomes for us to see through not just our own lens, but to start to clear it away. We almost forget to clear away uh, some of the filters that we have to see things um, from different perspectives. So I think that might be part of the struggle that we as adults have as we get older. And sometimes I think adults uh, disregard children's books when they get older and Mm-hmm. Maybe they should read a few more. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. Now, even though this is like we call it a children's book, it deals with a lot of big ideas, ideas in science and spirituality, ideas about individuality and responsibility and the power of love and other things as well. Uh, does it have a particular, for you, um, particular meaning that you really draw out of it that really speaks to you? All of those themes are, were woven throughout it. You can definitely feel each and every one of them. Um, For me, I think it is, I think the core of it, again, comes back to learning how to stand in your truth, in who you are. And that's, I think, the core message for me. One of the uh, things we learned in the book, uh, there's, they mentioned characters who tesseract, which is basically, uh, they are able to travel, you know, light years, you know, in a, in just a single moment, you know, vast distances mm-hmm. in time. And this is more of a personal question. If you had the chance to, would you tesseract yourself? Oh, I don't know. Gosh, I'm trying to think of where I would tesseract to if, <laughs> if I had the opportunity to. I don't know. I think for me, I am enjoying uh, the journey that I'm on right now. So the adult side of me, I don't think would tesseract. But the space of childlike wonder that's still inside of me, I think I would. And I'm curious to see what other, what else is out there. You know, we, we're we limited here by what we see on a regular basis. But I feel like there's no possible way that we're the only living, breathing creatures in such a vast and extreme galaxy. So I'm curious to see what else is out there. So maybe I would tesseract. I'm a little ambivalent myself too, because it doesn't sound like a pleasant experience the way it's described. No, it didn't. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> Especially the waking up on the other side of it. No, that seemed a little painful. A little bit, a little bit. Are, are there any particular passages uh, from the book that stand out for you that you'd like to share? Sure. I think 
the first chapter, the chapter where they started to describe Miss What's It, is one that has stayed with me since uh, my mom and I read the book um, when I was younger. Do you mind if I go ahead and read part of it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so there's a, a part towards the beginning of the book where, of course, it starts, it was a dark and stormy night, and um, Meg is coming down from her bedroom in the attic, and Charles Wallace, her younger brother, is there to meet her, and her mom is there, and all of a sudden, Miss What's It bursts onto the scene. And so they are preparing sandwiches so that they can have a snack in the middle of the night, which is apparently something that's regular for them. <laughs> None of them seem to be caught off guard by it. But uh, there's a part where uh, Meg brings Miss What's It a sandwich. And Miss What's It says, do you mind if I take off my boots before I eat? Miss What's It asks, picking up the sandwich nevertheless. Listen. She moved her feet up and down in her boots, and they could hear the, squel the water squelching. My toes are ever so damp. The trouble is that these bo boots are a mite too tight for me. I can never take them off by myself. I'll help you, Charles offered. Not you. You're not strong enough. I'll help, Miss Murray squatted at, at Miss What's-It's feet, yanking on one slick boot. When the boot came off, it came suddenly. Mrs. Murray sat down with a thump. Mrs. What's-It went tumbling backwards with the chair onto the floor, sandwich held high in one old claw. Water poured out of the boot and ran over the floor in the big braided rug. Oh, dearie me, Miss What's-It said, lying on her back in the overturned chair, her feet in the air, one in a red and white striped sock, the other still booted. Mrs. Murray got to her feet. Are you all right, Mrs. What's-It? If you have some liniment, I'll put it on my dignity, is what's it said, still supine. I think it's sprained. A little oil of cloves mixed with garlic is rather good. And she took a large bite of sandwich. I think that's one of my favorite parts in the book. It certainly gives you a, a picture of Mrs. What's It and what makes her mm -hmm. a remarkable character. Absolutely. Well, Cynthia, uh, thank you so much for uh, choosing this book. It gives me a chance to reread it. Uh, and uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it today. Well, thank you for joining or for inviting me to join you on this. It's awesome to be on the other side of, of the microphone. <laughs> you can find Cynthia's website at www.clfails.com and our Launch Crate website at www.launchcrate.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. <laughs>